We'll be studying from Exodus chapter 36 tonight, if you'll be finding that in your Bible. Uh, share with you just a, a brief thing about uh, Dennis and I did go visit with Kenneth Derrick last Wednesday and uh, witness to him. Uh, of course, Kenneth is hes one of those he doesn't have much to say. Uh, he just sits there and listens and with his head down. He didn't, he didn't uh, make any commitment to the Lord. Friday I was at home and I was studying Friday afternoon. And Kenneth came upon my heart very heavily. And I continued to study and the Lord just wouldn't let me rest until I went to see him. I told Francis, I said, I, I've got to go see a man. And uh, I drove down there and he and his wife were there. And I went in and sat down with him and shared with him. I said, Kenneth, God sent me down here. And I want to share with you what God gave me to share with you. And he, he said, okay. And I, I just shared the plan of salvation with him. And I asked him if he would trust Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He just sat there. He, he wouldn't answer. And to make it short, I, I finally said to him, Derek, is, Mr. Derek, is there some reason why you will not accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He said, well, a man's got to be willing. And I said, yes, are you telling me you're not willing? And he never would answer. He just dropped his head. But uh, God won't push himself on you. He'll give you the opportunity. But just... Just continue to pray for Kenneth. I, God sent us there for a reason. And uh, that tells me that God's still dealing with him and still fingering around his heart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, in 36th chapter of Exodus, this is one of those times in the Bible where that we find the people of God surprises. Usually you have to beg and borrow and whatever to get enough uh, funds to do what God wants the church to do. God had given Moses all the instructions concerning building the tabernacle. We've studied that for weeks and months. Uh, God had already chosen the men that he pointed out to Moses who would do the work. God had given a command for the people to bring all the necessary items that was needed to build not only the Ark of the Covenant, but also the tabernacle itself. Moses had shared this with the people, evidently. In chapter 36, it talks about the men that God had chosen. 
We've already talked about them a couple of times. Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all the manner of work for the service of the sanctuary according to all that the Lord had commanded. Now notice what it says here. Then wrought Bezalel and Ahobiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all the manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. And get this phrase, and you find this several times in the rest of this book, according to all that the Lord had commanded. That is so important that we do all that the Lord has commanded. God had made a great preparation here. He had chosen the men that would do this to be the leaders of it. But he also placed it upon the hearts of some others to come and work. Anybody that was willing in their heart. As I studied this today, I, I remembered back to 1993 when a tornado came through this part of the country and it hit Teleco Plains pretty hard. And I remember coming, I was pastoring at Mount Pisgah Baptist Church at that time. I came to, I guess, the executive board meeting of the association over in Athens. And Brother Bob Barnett, he headed up uh, a lot of the mission work that was done in, in those years. And Bob got up in that meeting and he said, I, I would like to make a motion that this association undertake the task of building back one of the houses that was destroyed. And it passed unanimously. And then they began to send out word to get people on a particular Saturday to travel to Teleco Plains and to start erecting that house. And I, I announced it on a Sunday night at Mount Pisgah Church. And I said, now any of you that would like to go, I'm going Saturday. I'm not much of a carpenter, but I can do something. And I said, uh, those of you that would like to go, let's meet at Hardy's and Sweetwater on Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. We'll eat breakfast together and drive on up to Teleco. And there was an older gentleman there. And he came up to me after the service that night and he said, Preacher, he said, God's placed it on my heart to go and help build that house. But he says, I'm not able to do much. I'm just an old broken down man. And I said, well, Brother Glenn, just meet us out at Hardy Saturday morning. I'll buy you breakfast and you can ride with me. And we got up there and I, I remember going to Bob Barnett. And I said, Bob, I've got a man here that he wanted to come and help today. 
But I say, he's not able to do much. Is there anything that he can do? He looked over at Glenn and he said, uh, can you snap a chalk line? He said, well, yeah, I can do that. He said, well, you see that stack of plywood over there? He said, I'm going to get you a couple of helpers and said, they're going to pull the chalk line across where each piece needs to have the nails placed in it. Said, all I want you to do is snap that chalk line. He said, I can do that. And you know, he worked all day long doing that. When we left that afternoon, that house was under roof. We started with the foundation that morning. And we got it framed up and got the roof on it. And it tickled that man so much to be able to go that day. I know those men that were holding the string, one of them could have snapped it. But it gave him a little something to do. He was willing in his heart. And that's, that's the message here tonight in this. Those that were willing, God was willing to use them. And our being willing to do things, to do something for God. Sometimes we count ourselves short and we, we think, well, I can't do those kind of things. I can't do this and I can't do that. You can if God tells you to. You can if God puts it on your heart. He'll make you able to do something if you're available to do it. But they were to do all the manner of work according to all the Lord had commanded. As I said, you'll find that phrase more and more in, in, in this. And Moses called Bezaliel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man, now notice, in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even every one whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. We don't know how many people came. God didn't see fit to put that in here. But there was enough of them. They got the job done. I'm sure there were plenty of people in the nation of Israel that didn't lift a finger to help build the tabernacle. But those that were willing, those that God put it in their heart, came and did their part. I don't know all that there was to do. Well, the Bible tells us all of it, but some of it's above my head. But willingness goes a long, long way in serving God. Just like Kenneth Derrick said, you have to be willing. God won't save you against your will. You have to be willing. Verse 3 says, And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. The call had gone out for all the materials that was needed and every morning, 
people were bringing this item and that item, everything that was needed to build that tabernacle and to build the Ark of the Covenant and all the furniture that was in it. They brought it every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. Now there is a strange statement. The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord, there's that phrase again, which the Lord commanded to make. They became so generous. They wanted to give, and they were giving. Giving to the point of there was so much stuff there, they didn't know what to do with all of it, really. More than enough. But isn't that just the way it is when you, you, you serve the Lord? That He blesses with not just enough, but more than enough. Abundance. That's right, Rick. God does it in an abundance. Now, Moses gave the commandment in verse 6 and caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. What if Sunday there was such an offering brought and placed in the offering buckets that the treasurer would have to get up and say, please don't bring any more offerings. We've got more than we can spend. How many of you would pass out? <laughs> I've never heard that said in all my life in a church that, that there was more than was needed. But I'll share with you this, and I may have shared it before, but it's, it's worth repeating if I have. When I pastored at Union McMinn, I remember one Sunday that God gave me a message concerning giving. And it was taken from a passage of Scripture where it talks about bringing your gift to the altar and leave it. And if you remember that your brother has all against you, you know, go, go fix that up and then come back. And I remember when I gave the invitation, I, I had asked our ushers not to receive the offering that morning. But the offering plates were sitting out on the table. And I asked people, would you just rise from your seat and bring your offering to the Lord? As people passed by, I was just standing there observing. 
And there's something special about bringing your offering to the altar. And as they were placing their offering in an offering plate, there was a man that hadn't been saved very long. I saw him as he came and got closer to the offering plate that tears were streaming down his face. And when he got to the offering plate, he, he just opened his hand up and dropped a bunch of pennies in, in the offering plate. And he started crying even more. And the man behind him said, I hope my brother doesn't mind me saying this. But he said, this man said he just got laid off from his job this past week. And he says, I know for a fact that those pennies is all the money he had. And he's brought it and put it in the offering plate for God. Someone said, I think we need to take up an offering for him. And people just started giving willingly, you know. He left there with over $100 in his pocket. He gave a handful of pennies, but God blessed him. He brought all he had, and God blessed him. And there's, there's so much that we can say about giving, how that God blesses those who are cheerful, cheerful giving. Verse 7 says, For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. Too much. Now, verses 8 and following you're going to say, well, we've been over this in other chapters. Yeah, we have. Because the, the other chapters for several chapters that we have studied was in preparation for making the tabernacle. Of all every different item that needed to be made, there was instructions about how it was to be. Well, now this is where it's beginning to get assembled where the ark and the, the tabernacle is actually beginning to be assembled. And it's for the next few chapters that you study that. And I, I, I don't think we're going to try to just go through all of that and repeat it because so much of it, but, but it, it makes that phrase so many times, all that the Lord commanded them, that they did. But tonight we're just going to read some of this and, and see what it says in verse 8. It's, it's talking about the fine linen. We'll remember that, that that was one of those things that was one of the first things that God told Moses to have the people to bring, fine linen. And it's a picture of purity and, and the righteousness of God. And it says in verse 8, And every wise-hearted man among them wrought the work of the tabernacle, made ten curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work made he them. The length of one curtain was 28 cubits. That's uh, 
42 feet long and six feet wide <clears throat> of one curtain, four cubits, and the curtains were all of one size. They're coupled together in verse 10. And he coupled the five curtains, one on one and to another, and the other five curtains he coupled one to another. This is for the covering of the tent, but it's the inside covering. It's the part that was always visible to the priest who would go in there. And it reminded them of the purity and the righteousness of God. Verse 11, And he made loops of blue on the edge of one curtain from the salvage and the coupling. Likewise, he made in the uttermost side of the, another curtain in the coupling of the second Fifty loops made he in one curtain, and fifty loops made he in the edge of the, other, of the curtain, which was in the coupling of the second. The loops held one curtain to another. Loops that matched each other were coupled together with a gold clasp. What did we say that gold stood for? It's deity, isn't it? He made 50 latches of gold and coupled the curtains one into another with the latches so it became one tabernacle. Now, here's the things for the outer curtain. He made curtains of goat's hair. Now, I wonder how many of those people that had goat's hair in their possession had ever thought about giving that to God. Goat's hair was a very common item in those days. It was usually used to make things like tents and those kind of things. Uh, when we were in Israel, we, we stopped one day in a, a place in the Bedouins, live there. They had a lot of sheep and goats and those kind of things. And our tour guide pointed out the tents that they lived in. Uh, they were black looking. And I said, what did they make those tents out of? He said, goat hair. It didn't dawn on me that a tent could be made out of goat hair. No, it's just a hair. Uh, but they weave that together. Just like, well, you know, we get sheep hair and make wool cloth out of it. But this was placed over the top of the linen. And it was a protective covering. Where did we get to? Okay. Fourteen, yeah. He made curtains of goat's hair for the ten over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains he made them. The length of one curtain was thirty cubits, and four cubits was the breadth of the curtain. The eleven curtains were of one size. He coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. These, these curtains, it pictured 
the need for a sin offering. The goat's hair. It was a sin offering needed for cleansing of sin. And that's what it reminded the people of when they could see that. He makes these loops and all in it in verses 17 and 18. And then he made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red. Now here's the actual top covering, the outer covering, so to speak. Ram skins that were dyed red. The red pictured the blood. And the covering of leather pictured a protective separation from the world. Everything that's in these tabernacles, it all points to Jesus. It all tells us about Jesus and what he did for us. Then it talks about the framing of this in verses 20 and following. He made boards of the tabernacle of acacia wood standing up. The length of a board was 10 cubits and the breadth of a board one cubit and a half. In other words, 15 feet high and two and a, half, two and a quarter feet wide. They each had two pegs on each board. And they fit into sockets. And it reminds us of the stability and the support and a strong foundation. It reminds us that we're settled on the rock. And that rock is Jesus. But this framing... Framing in a building is very important. Framing is covered up from both sides. You don't see it most of the time. But what will happen to a, a building when little things like a termite gets into the framework of a building and begins to eat away at it? It'll collapse on it. I think Wayne and I were on a porch today that that was happening too. <laughs> we, we had to be very careful. Uh, but uh, that, that happens so many times. But it, it was something that was sturdy. It would, it would uh, keep that tent from flopping around and flapping in the wind. There was 40 of those sockets of silver. Uh, Two sockets to each board. Um, trying to skip through this. For the sides of the tabernacle, I'm in verse 27. For the sides of the tabernacle westward, he made six boards. Two boards made he for the corners of the tabernacle and the two sides. And they were coupled beneath and coupled together at the head thereof to one ring. Thus he did to both of them in both corners. Uh, it goes ahead to talk about the others there. But uh, skip to verse 35. The inner veil. Those uh, bars and all that were in that were overlaid with 
gold. He made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen with cherubims made it of cunning work. And he made thereupon four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold and he cast them four sockets of silver. And he made a hanging for the tabernacle door of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of needlework. This outer veil, this was the door. This tabernacle didn't have a bunch of doors. It had one door. What does that say to us about Jesus? One way. He is the door too, isn't he? He said so. I am the door. That's what he said about the sheepfold. I am the door. And this is telling us about uh, the holiness of man. But also it tells us about man's separation from God. Jesus is the only way to the Heavenly Father. He said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I know those words are, in some people's language, controversial. I heard a well-known pastor on TV one night being interviewed by Larry King. And Larry asked that man, said, do you believe John 14, 6? Where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to get to God? That pastor would not answer that. Larry came at him from different directions trying to get him to answer it one way or the other. He would not answer it. Needless to say, I have very little respect for a man that won't stand on the Word of God. But he's popular. He has big crowds. But you better watch someone like that. If they don't believe the Bible and won't stand on what the Bible says, uh, they'll probably tell you about anything you want to hear as long as you follow them. But didn't mean to get into that. But uh, yes, outer veil, verse 37, he made a hanging for the tabernacle door of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of needlework. And the five pillars of it were their hooks and he overlaid their chapters and their, with their fillets with gold and their five sockets were of brass. These are the things that make up this tabernacle. God had told his people to bring these items and they brought them. 
They brought more than enough. They brought so much that they had to be told not to bring any more. And the next few chapters will be the construction of the tabernacle. And I'm not sure that we're going to try to go through all of those. But we will stay in the book of Exodus at least uh, another week or two to study about what the tabernacle is when it's finished. But if you want to read these next few chapters, it'll do you good. And you might underline in there how many times it talks about they did it as the Lord commanded them to. How important that is. That we live our life as the Lord has commanded us to. That we conduct business as the Lord has commanded us to. That we serve our church and our community as the Lord has commanded us to. Because if we're not doing it as the Lord has commanded us, then we're doing it wrong. God has His plans. And when we utilize God's plans, we'll always turn out right. We may not always understand it. I wonder... Uh, how Moses contended with it when people wanted to bring something. And he says, we've already got more than enough. Take it back home with you. I wonder if they got offended at him. I don't know. It could happen. But it's, it's wonderful to study about this. Any questions or comments that you'd like to make? And I, I know we skipped over a lot of it here tonight. But uh, Bob? Yeah. Well, that's that's very commendable. Uh, very commendable. Uh, I, I know that happened in other churches too. Uh, you think it would have fallen away because of the people not attending? Well, I think because of the people. I know people. One lady calls me once a month. Says, "Come, come, I." That's true. That's true, Rick. But uh, I remember, well, I, I know I say I remember. Our church, Glenlock Baptist Church, where we're members, <clears throat> they're out in the country. Just had a mailbox out there. So after COVID struck, uh, they sent out everybody a letter and uh, said, if you're going to mail your tithes in, mail it to so-and-so post office box. I guess there's people driving by and checking church mailboxes. 
but uh, that was something that I found kind of amusing that we had to open up a, a post office box so the, the mail would be safe there. Well, thank you so much for coming tonight and for your comments. And um, Sunday, Sunday morning after the service, uh, there's a fellowship meal that has been planned and is being planned. We're not going to have service Sunday night, but uh, I understand that the meats and bread and drinks will be supplied, but uh, each person who comes will be asked to bring a uh, vegetable or a dessert, or if you want to bring both, that's fine too. But uh, we're going to have a time after the service Sunday morning of fellowship and eating together, and then you'll be free to celebrate Memorial Day. Okay. Well, let's uh, have our benediction, and then we'll allow you to get into your prayer groups and spend some time together in prayer, and then when you're finished, just feel free to leave. Brother Lawrence, would you lead us as we pray? Amen.